A few years ago, the city of New Orleans hosted a pool party to celebrate the first season in memory that they had not had anyone who had drowned in a city pool for that year. And so at this party, over 200 people gathered uh, in that honor, and, uh, and including 100 certified lifeguards. So they enjoyed a great party that evening together at the pool. Many people were in the pool, some outside the pool. And when the party was over, the four lifeguards who were on duty began to clear the pool, and they happened to notice that in the deep end there was a fully clothed body at the bottom of the deep end. And they pulled the person out. They tried to revive him, and uh, they couldn't. It was too late. They had lost him. And so what's really sad about that is that this guy uh, who was named Jerome Moody, 31 years old, he drowned surrounded by lifeguards as they celebrated a successful pool season. It's a sad, it's an ironic story, uh, and in a way, a similar way, it can be so easy for the church um, to enjoy each other, the richness of fellowship that we have together, the joy of, of growing in Christ together, that we become oblivious to the needs in the world around us, including the idea that much of the world is drowning in despair and isolation uh, in the depth of sin. And like lifeguards who miss their responsibility and their chance to make a difference, the church can easily lose sight of the great mission that Christ has given to us to give ourselves fully to that mission. Now, we've been focusing on outreach for Christ, an outreach that's organic, Organic outreach really begins as we give ourselves fully to God and we love God fully uh, with, with that, with this passionate love for God. That then begins to extend out of that overflow to love others the way that we long to be loved. And last week we talked about how not only that, but we're also called to love the church the way that Christ loves the church, the bride of Christ, and even willing to give himself up his own life for the church. And a church that loves people, with a passionate heart of God, will make a difference in the community and in the world. That's our hope. That's our mission, to be a transformative community that goes deeper in Christ and further in mission, that we give ourselves fully to loving God, and out of that overflow we love others with that same love. And this love is the kind of love that takes action. It's not just a love that's full of words and feelings, but it's love that takes action. It takes ground. It's shared compassionately and consistently, and it makes a lasting impact, an impact for eternity. So if we want to see people who will learn more about Christ and draw closer to Christ and come to know Christ and eventually even find their way into the church, we have to take Christ outside the building. We have to become the hands and feet of Christ in the relationships that we're in uh, to people that we know, both by words but also by deeds. And so they can see this love of Christ in action at work. So I believe outreach is one of the keys to our own faith being alive and vibrant. Because if we don't participate in some sort of outreach, everything about our our faith becomes bottled up inside of us. And and the effects of that can, can eventually be detrimental to our own faith. So to kind of explain that, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of lakes or large bodies of water in Israel. The place that most of Scripture takes place. Uh, The first one is the Sea of Galilee. This was the area that Jesus did most of his ministry in. And for us to have a little bit of context, the Sea of Galilee, it would be about three times larger than Milford Lake, uh, just outside of Junction City. And this lake, the Sea of Galilee, was a fresh body of water. Uh, it was fed by, it's fed by mountain streams that, uh, that come down into the lake. And the lake itself is just full of life. It's got 
I've got just full of fish and, and all kinds of life that, that, that's in the lake. And the, the water comes into that lake, and then it leaves the lake through streams and even through the River Jordan. And the lake, lake as a whole just thrives. It's a healthy, healthy lake. And I want us to think about that kind of lake like uh, a healthy Christian. Somebody who's fresh and deep and full of good things to share with others. Now, as healthy as the Sea of Galilee is, uh, that's not the body of water I want to necessarily focus on this morning. Uh, you see, the, the River Jordan flows out of that lake, and it goes down uh, south about 75 miles, uh, dropping elevation the entire way until it, com- it empties into what's called the Sea of Salt, or we would know it as the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is uh, quite a bit different than the Sea of Galilee. It's far bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the surface of the water itself is actually about uh, 1,500 feet below sea level. It's actually the lowest body of water in the world. And uh, the deepest part of the actual sea is even 450 yards deeper than the surface. And the water has an unusual composition compared to, compared to most bodies of water. It's got quite a bit of minerals and chemicals in the water. It's got salt and magnesium and, and calcium chlorides and bromides. And actually all these minerals make up over... 25% of the content of the water, and it gives the Dead Sea a really unique characteristic. It's rather buoyant. You can't hardly sink in this lake because of all the minerals. But also, these minerals have a fatal effect on fish in that lake. And so my reason for bringing all this up is that the Dead Sea is dead for one reason. The water flows into it, but it has nowhere to go. All the minerals that are brought downstream, all these good things that can help so many people get trapped into this deep gorge and they never come out. And so they build up and up until they become lethal to almost all forms of life in this body of water. And in a similar way, many Christians can be dead in their faith for much the same reasons. Everything coming in to us, but nothing coming out of this life. So just a question, do you feel fed in your Christian journey? Are you connected to Bible studies, to worship services, to do you listen to Christian radio, do you engage in prayer, do you read some Christian books? All these things are important to having a healthy Christian life, uh, to grow deeper in our faith, but without some source of output, of outflow, because of all the input that we get, the good will eventually get bottled up inside of us and it can become a little bit overwhelming. Now, it won't choke us, the life out of us, maybe the same way that the, the Dead Sea is, but, but without some kind of source of output for our faith, we can become listless, uh, spiritually dead people who can tend even to complain that, that we're not getting fed enough, when in reality, uh, what we need to do is step back from the buffet table and invite somebody we love to join us kind of at the feast, would be a picture of that. So output is an essential part of our faith, and without it we become bloated and stagnant Christians that simply build up our reserves without any real positive reason for all those reserves. And so it's kind of the essential theme out of this passage out of Acts that was just read, and I want us to go back and kind of dig into that a little bit this morning. So in this passage, Jesus has just finished his ministry uh, on, on earth. He's just appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. He's now getting ready to return to heaven to be with the Father. And he's leaving the disciples to carry on the work of building the kingdom and building the church. And they're worried, uh, rightly so probably, at his departure. They don't really know uh, what lies in store for them. And so they ask this question. 
They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They basically want him to come and finish the work that they thought he came to do, and that's to make everything right and, and, and make it all right for Israel and for God's people. And the first part of his answer in response to that passage tells them, yeah, there is a, a final reckoning that's coming, uh, but that's not going to be necessarily something they need to know the timing of. They don't need to be worried about that time. That's not what they need to be focused on. And so the last part of his answer is what I want us to focus on today. For I think in this part of the response, Jesus clearly uh, tells the disciples to take this love that he's been investing in them and then begin to share that and invest that in others, to spread that love wherever they go. Look at Acts 1, verse 8 again. Jesus responded, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the reasons I think this is one of the pivotal verses in the New Testament is because of its timing in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, again, Luke records this for us. This is the one thing he makes absolutely clear that when Jesus says this to the disciples, it's his last day on earth with them, and he lays out this bold and dynamic plan, this vision for changing the world. And and his vision begins with people. The people of Christ's vision is you. He says you. Notice what he tells the disciples before anything else. He says, you, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in multiple places in the world. Jesus makes it clear that they're going to be the ones who are going to carry out the vision and make it a reality. He was telling them that that they would be the ones to do the work of the kingdom. They were going to be the people who would complete his vision for the world, bringing change in the world. And has anything changed from then until today about this vision? No, absolutely not. It's still the same vision that Christ has for us as disciples and for the church. As believers, we're we're called to continue this mission until completion. Our work is only done when we die or when Christ returns again. And our mission is literally to catch the vision that Christ has shared and to carry on that work until it's completed. So that's his vision. It begins with people. But then also God partners with us in this. He doesn't just leave it up to us. It's not only on our shoulders, but we're told he gives us his presence. He, the power behind Christ's vision is the Holy Spirit. The power to accomplish the vision of Christ is the Holy Spirit. There's no way for us to accomplish the work of Christ without the Holy Spirit. He tells us you will receive power when you receive the Spirit. It means that God's not going to leave them or us to our own strength, but that when we follow His Word, that we're going to have the power of God on our side. Jesus promises all of His disciples 2,000 years ago, today, He promised all of us that He's going to give us something extremely special through the gift of His Holy Spirit. Literally, the presence of God is at work in us. It resides within us. It's the person of God with us and the power of God working through us. So he gives us the vision. It's for the people, for us, for you and for me. He also gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. He also shares a method for accomplishing the mission. The philosophy of Christ's vision is that you, you will be my witnesses. So a witness is somebody who's willing to give a testimony for what they know. This is, this is either from experience or maybe from an eyewitness account. It's not hearsay. It's not rumors about what somebody else has seen or somebody else's experience. It's what we have seen, what we know, what we have experienced. And so as his witnesses, 
We share God's love and his message with those who haven't heard yet, or maybe they don't understand what the message is all about. And, and we share our personal unique message. You know, Christ has worked in each of our lives in, in maybe different ways, in unique ways. We have different stories to tell about how Christ has demonstrated his love and his power in our own lives. But we share that story in, in our experience of God's love, not just our viewpoint. Now, we're not all public speakers. Uh, in fact, if I asked everybody to, to get in line and share your testimony in front of the whole church here this morning, I'm guessing about 90% of you might leave the worship service this morning because of a fear of public speaking. So we're not all public speakers, but we all have experienced the love of Christ in our lives, and we continue to experience that love on a daily basis. And that's what we bear witness of. And we can bear witness in just simple, small ways with people that we have relationships with. And a healthy witness uh, includes deeds and is not just words. A witness is more than just a verbal testimony, but also our actions. We show Christ by our actions, and we also tell about him with our words. It's a both and. It's not an either or. You know, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to a funeral service for Harry Care, and some of you may not know who Harry is, but uh, a couple of his kids are members here at our church, Joe Care and Bernice Omley, and it was really a really remarkable funeral service. Harry had been a faithful believer for much of his life, most of his life, and what I found remarkable through the stories from the family and, and from the pastor was that, that Harry was really able to walk this balance of deeds and words demonstrated for Christ through Christ's love. That he was somebody who showed Christ's love by the actions he did, the way that he helped people and he did things for people. But then he also was able to use words. And Harry was not a person of a lot of words, if you knew him. He was a pretty quiet guy. But, but when the moment was right and it was important... He was willing to share about what Christ had done in his life and about uh, literally the good news of Christ. And that's really what we're called to when we're called to be a witness, is to carry that balance. It's a both and. It's both deeds and words. So a healthy witness includes deeds, not just words. It's more than a verbal testimony. It's also our actions. And so when our hands and our feet are serving in the name of Jesus, non-believing people eventually will ask, why do you care? Why, why do you serve this way? Where, where's that source of love and that source of care coming from. And that's the moments that we have to be ready to share, to, to willing to speak about the one who loves us and gave his life for us on the cross. So we share our faith by eventually using words, by speaking, speaking the message. I want us to look at Romans 10, 14, and 15 again. Paul writes, he says, How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now I want to explain a couple of words from these verses. The first word is the word preaching. That's in verse 14. Now we tend to think of preaching in a couple of ways. One is we may think of it's only something that a pastor does on a Sunday morning or a worship service. And that's not really what Paul's... That's not what he's getting at here in this, this part of the passage. Or sometimes we have this connotation even of the word preach can sometimes be a negative context. Now, I know you would never think about that in relationship to me or Doug or whoever preaches here on a Sunday morning. But, you know, you've heard that sometimes when somebody is nagging or constantly reminding somebody, you might like say to your spouse, okay, don't preach, preach at me that way. Don't nag me that way. So it's a negative context. But that's not what Paul is referring to here. To preach 
is simply to announce something publicly. So what Paul's talking about here is, is different than what most people think of in preaching in our culture. Preaching is simply sharing a, a, a proclamation, a public uh, word in, our, in, in, our, in, in a good message. It's not something that only a pastor does. This kind of preaching is proclaiming that, that's simply telling others about the good news of Jesus. And literally all Christians are called to preach. So he talks about preaching here. It's really for all of us. It's not for the few that are called to share a message on a Sunday morning. It's for all of us to know that we have a message that we're supposed to share with others. The other word I want us to look at in this passage is the word sent in verse 15. The, the Greek word here is apollo, uh, apostel, apostello. It's been a long morning already. Apostello, which really, here's the deal. It's the word for apostle that we have in our own language. And it's really meant to, to, to describe somebody who's being sent as an official representative of someone else. Like an ambassador would be sent maybe by our president to go represent the president to another foreign country. So not just anyone can uh, share this message, but it must be somebody who is sent by Jesus. So who's called to, and who's sent by Christ in this message? That someone is the entire Christian community. Anyone who calls themselves a disciple of Christ is someone that is sent by Christ. Jesus said to the church in John chapter 20, verse 21, he said, As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. We are the ones who are being sent by Christ. We are the ones authorized with the message. And the message is what the Bible calls the gospel, or it's the good news about Jesus. And it centers just simply on God sending his son Jesus on Christmas Jesus living this life, uh, honoring God and in a life of perfection, and then dying on the cross for our sins and our place, and then God's power raising Jesus from the dead. And then in the midst of all of this, it centers on the fact that Christ died for us so that we can be made right with God and come into God's kingdom. The good news is literally the theme of the entire New Testament. In fact, it's really what... The Old Testament is building a context so that we can understand when Jesus comes in the New Testament what, it's, what that purpose is and why we need a Savior like Christ. So we share, that, share our faith by literally speaking the message. But we also share our faith by trusting in the power of the message. That's what we find in verse 17 in Romans 10. Paul says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So what Paul's saying here is that faith is not generated by using a right technique or a great speaker or some special program. Faith is generated by the message itself, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's saying the same thing that Paul says earlier in Romans in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, the good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God in action in order to bring about the salvation for everyone who believes. So many of us as believers think that, you know, the message itself is not powerful enough. It, you know, we think we need to prop it up with some special programs or techniques or some way to share that faith that we, we focus too much on methodology, methodology and we forget, we neglect the thing that's most important about the message. That literally the message itself is what God uses to transform people. If we believe in the power of the message, we don't have to rely on special techniques or methods. or We can just accurately communicate the good news. And the, 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 the message itself is going to generate faith. The message is simple. 
It is. Too often we overthink the message. It's really simple. It's just sharing what we know about God's work of redemption that we've heard, the story we've heard, the story we've read in Scripture, whatever that simple story is, to share that. But then also to share God's story at work through us. How has Christ been at work in and through us? How did we come to faith? How have we experienced Christ's love and his transforming power in our lives? And that's the unique part that we bring to the message. So Jesus shares with us these things. He says, hey, at some point, you're actually going to have to go and speak about the good news about who I am. And then also in this verse or this passage in Acts, I think that Jesus shares his plan for the church to get the message out, the plan of his vision. And really the plan is all about that we can't sit around and, and keep the message of Jesus to ourselves. Again, we're kind of back to this analogy of the two bodies of water in Israel. We want to be like the Sea of Galilee, where the, the fresh water of the Spirit of God is at work and coming into our lives, but then also it's flowing out, uh, that we're having an impact in other people that we come in contact with. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea, where all this great freshness and this power of God is coming into us, and then we're just, we're just storing up reserves inside our lives or inside of our, our being. No, we, we're supposed to go out and share. Share that love. Share the knowledge of Christ with others. And, and it's a, been at times a problem for the church as a whole because many times it's easy to become more content with being keepers of the aquarium than being fishers of men and women in our culture. Jesus told the disciples, okay, here's, here's the deal. You're going to need to go and spread the news of me to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the world. And I think there's some principles that we could just take a look at real quick that we can pull from just these descriptions that Jesus gives to his disciples. The first is, what, what's Jerusalem in our own context? What does that look like? Well, it's simply the context of wherever you live. I mean, the community that you live in, Salina, Kansas, or wherever you live. What's the neighborhood that you live in, the business that you work at, the, the schools that you go to, the neighborhood, all those kinds of things. That's, that's really what Jerusalem is. Judea, that might be the greater surrounding community and region, maybe where you come from, if you're somewhere local that you go back to frequently, where you have relationships, or where you do business regularly. Maybe you go to Wichita or Kansas City. Uh, it could be you know, Manhattan or Lawrence or where you went to college where you still have relationships. It's wherever we visit locally and we know some people. We still know some of the context. So what's Samaria? Well, that's a little different. I mean, I think what Jesus is getting at here, that this is more about the places and the people that are often avoided, they're avoided in our culture, even avoided by the church at times. But we know that Jesus didn't avoid these people, right? I mean, we looked at a message a couple of weeks ago where Jesus was being accused of hanging out with sinners, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes. These are the kind of people that Jesus spent time with. He didn't avoid Samaria or people in those regions. In fact, those were part of the the group that he brought together. And then to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's anywhere that goes beyond those three other places. I mean, it could be state, nationally, uh, across the world, the bigger world. Again, Christ's plan is to reach locally, regionally, and globally. But it begins and it ends with you and with me. Being faithful with the message that Christ gives us. And we start where we are and we move forward. So we're going to people around us. And then we're moving on to make an impact elsewhere. So to think about how we make this impact through relationships that, that, you know, Jesus gives us a big context to look at, but 
really, it's about the relationships that he's given in our own lives. And so what does that look like? Well, uh, I read this week about uh, a famous evangelist from the previous uh, uh, century, Dr. Wilbur Chapman. And he did a study of the New Testament where he looked at the number of people who were healed by Jesus in the Gospels. And he sees that there were 40 people that were recorded in those Gospels. And and each of them suffering from some disease that Jesus healed. And of the number of 40, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or the friends brought Jesus to them so that they could be healed. In only six cases out of the 40 did the sufferers find their own way to Jesus on their own without assistance. And to make that connection of the vast number of people who find their way to Christ today, most of them reach him because of a friend. A friend of Jesus, but also their friend, who builds a bridge and invites them to connect with who Christ is. So what do we do with that? I mean, again, this plan that Jesus has, I mean, tell us to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, you know, the ends of the earth. I mean, that's a lot of places and that's a lot of people. So what do we do with that? And you've probably heard a message like this before and thought, yeah, wow, but what do I do? Well, I just want to kind of see if we can narrow that down a little bit. And just in our response this morning, I want to ask you, to consider a couple of things. Just simply, I want to issue a challenge. I mean, Jesus issued a challenge to the church, right? You will be my witnesses. So I think here's a challenge for us today. One is commit. What, are you, what am I asking you to commit to? Commit to reaching out to one person. You know, and simply that might be, who is that person? But don't think about five or ten or twenty or dozens. Who's the one that Christ would ask you to build a bridge make a connection, and to reach out to. The second thing is pray. Pray for those people that God, God has brought into your life. I mean, how do we do that? Well, one, is the, one of the ways that we can do that, and we ask you to do that every spring, but really it's a daily thing, is we do the Ask the Lord of the Harvest. I don't know if you remember doing this about four months ago, but it's where we just simply ask the Lord to put on our heart people that we have relationships with, that we can pray for, that we can invest in and reach out to, and then commit to praying for them. And so I put this list just simply in my Bible so that when I open my Bible up, I can pray for these names whenever I read from Scripture. So pray for them. Well, how do we pray for them? What do we pray for them? We'll pray for that person, for the Holy Spirit to really work in that person's life. I mean, it's more about what God can do than what we can do. And, and pray for that person to be open to invitation. And then actually pray that you have the courage to offer an invitation. Well, what does that invitation look like? It can be lots of things. It could be an invitation just simply to have a meal and to build a relationship, learn more of each other's stories. It can be an invitation to an event that you're participating in that's connected and related to the church. It could be eventually an invitation where the person says, well, tell me a little bit more about your faith and about why you believe in Christ. And it might lead to an invitation for you to invite them to go ahead and take those steps of faith. But invite Invite them. So that's the last uh, challenge is simply invite. Take the opportunity to invite somebody. Well, what are you going to invite them to? Well, I mean, again, we've got a, a, just a really great event coming up. It's going to be really about bringing friends to. It's the kickoff luncheon, the kickoff Sunday. I mean, you got a flyer in your worship guide. Why don't you do something with that? I mean, think about that one person that Jesus is asking you to reach out to. Pray for them. Pray for yourself as you connect with them. And then offer an invitation. Give them an invitation to join you, come with you to church and and join you in the barbecue. It could be inviting them to the Alpha course that's going to start in the end of September. 
It could be to coming to a worship service. It could be to join you in your Bible study or your life group. I mean, there's so many things that we're involved in that somebody else who really is exploring would really appreciate an opportunity to have an entry point to begin to explore and maybe to begin a journey with Christ. So take the opportunity to invite. So when our hearts are full of love for God and for the people of God and His church, we're naturally going to want to see people enter into a life-transforming relationship with Christ. Are we ready to live into Christ's calling, to be His ambassadors? Are we ready to live and love and serve and sacrifice and care for people in the name of Jesus? And when they explore, are we ready to open our mouths and speak about the, the words of life to people, to tell them about God's amazing love, to tell others that it is possible, it is possible to be forgiven and freed and healed and to be, have a restored relationship with God who loves them who loves them through Christ. Jesus says, it's time. It's time to take action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you've included us into your plan. God, we're grateful for Christ, that he has come and showed us the way to you and and made that way possible. And now, God, we have this mission that Christ has given to us as his disciples to his church. And Lord, help us to understand how can we do that? How can we be faithful in that process, in that, in that invitation, in that, in that calling? God, we're thankful that you give us the gift and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not up to us alone, but we depend on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to, at most and at best, to fall deeper and deeper in love with you. And, and in doing so, knowing that you're going to help us grow our heart in love for others. Lord, help us to seize the day in terms of your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we soak in the rich love of God into our lives, the love of Christ, our lives are going to sing. Now, that's a little scary because some of you are thinking, you don't want to hear me sing. But I'm talking about a life that beats for God. And it will have an impact on others as we live out that life. As we close this morning, I want to invite our prayer team to gather over here to the right in the hallway. And if you're in need of prayer this morning, for any reason, you can go over there. They'll listen and they'll even pray for you. And I think it'll be a blessing for you. So we close this morning. I just want to encourage you that Jesus says, hey, it's really simple. Don't make it too complicated. He said, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we live out that command, if we live out that life as a disciple of Christ, our life is going to make a lasting impact in others. So live into that love and share that love. In Christ's name, amen.